Hey there, thanks for listening to another episode of the Jack Eason Podcast. We are talking about the issues of loneliness, isolation, and how to overcome them with true friendship and community. For more information on these and other issues, check out Jack's website at jackeason.org. Now here's Jack. Hey, today my uh, special guest is Shane Pruitt, and uh, he is uh, newly with the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, but more than that, he has a heart for this generation, for millennials and Gen Z. He has an experience as a a pastor, student pastor, and just really knows the heart, I believe, of uh, our culture and this generation like very few people do. And it's a privilege to have him on today to talk a little bit about loneliness and a lot of other things that this generation is facing. Uh, Just really wanted to talk about your experience with what you see with students Uh, and next generation, especially when it comes to, uh, especially when it comes to this issue of uh, loneliness. Yeah, Uh, thanks for sending me the book. Well, my my heart was, and my wife is really the the published author. She writes Christian fiction. She's written 60-something books for the last decade. She's been on me for years. You need to, you know, after 30 years of ministry, you need to, you need to put your thoughts down. And I'm like, no, no, I don't have time. (laughs) <laughs> so I finally did, but the initial the initial idea that I pitched to the publisher was the power of the of community, the power of togetherness, which which I actually see lived out among the body of Christ more, uh, not not exclusively, but more with Gen Z and millennials who get yeah. who get the power of togetherness. But when I started doing research, I discovered that at the same time, even though they're the most connected with devices and technology, they're they're really not together. And this whole this whole deal about loneliness. So I really wanted to pick your brain a little bit uh, from your experience. What are you seeing with, with Gen Z millennial, that, that culture, that age, uh, are they lonely in your experience? Why are they lonely? Uh, what, what are you, what are you seeing with your, with your work in ministry? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, man. Yeah. First of all, yes. You know, when you think of like Gen Z, I think, um, you know, it's important to define who we're talking about when we talk about Gen Z. So at the time of this recording, November 2nd of 2020, Generation Z. The easiest way to just remember are those that are in college, high school, junior high, and kind of older uh, preteen. And when you think of that number of Generation Z, uh, it's, you know, roughly 82 million. Um, It's a big generation. But then when you kind of dive deeper in that, according to statistics, because now that Generation Z is getting older, we're able to get more data on them, you know, as they're entering in high school, college. And so uh, when you think of Generation Z, 82 million, and then according to a Wall Street Journal poll, less than 30% says religion is important to them. So not even Christianity, just religion. Right. Um, and if that be true, then that means they're the least religious generation we've seen in the United States um, since our, really the beginning of our history. Um, and then according to a Barna research group, less than 20% says going to church is important to them. So if you just kind of wrap your mind around that for a moment, and if you say, okay, less than 20% are connected to the local church, then on some level, if you took those uh, statistics, according to 82 million, less than 20% are connected to a local church or says going to church is important to them, then that means roughly, uh, you know, 57 a million to 60 million are not connected to a community of believers at all. Uh, and if you wrap your right mind around the enormity of that, wow. if those 57 to 60 million created their own state, then they would be the largest state in the United States by about, by about 20 million people. So on some level, when you wrap your mind around the enormity of that, 
And if you can assume most of those are probably spiritually lost, if they're not connected to a local church at all, um, or they say religion is not important to them at all. Um, if you think about that, they're almost an unreached people group. Mm, and so when you right. think of here's this massive group who are not connected in community with other believers, they're, uh, they don't have the Holy Spirit, then on some level, they're lost. And so they're going to have all the fruit of being spiritually lost. You know, they're going to feel what our world feels today. So on some level, when you talk about Generation Z on a huge scale, they're hopeless, uh, they're joyless, uh, spiritually mm. dead, and they feel the conflicts around them, you yeah. know? Um, wow. so, uh, but what's interesting about Generation Z is that in that same Wall Street Journal poll, says over 80% says living a self-fulfilled self life is of most importance, uh, of, of, excuse me, of, of most importance to them. So when you think of least religious generation of, of all time in the United States, but over 80% says living a self-fulfilled life is very important to them, then that's the threshold for us to cross in the gospel to say, hey, listen, God also wants you to live a fulfilled life. That's just going to come from someone outside of yourself, yeah. which we know he has a name, and that name is Jesus. And when the gospel saves you, then you know that doesn't solve all problems, but that Holy Spirit definitely makes these things better, meaning this, like if you're lonely, when God saves you, he doesn't just save you from sin and destruction. He also saves you to some things. He saves you to a family. He saves you to a community. He saves you to a kingdom. Um, and so when you have a generation that is struggling hugely with uh, loneliness, struggling hugely with depression, struggling hugely with anxiety, we know the greatest solution, the greatest need, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of big picture, 10,000 foot to go. Yeah, it is a lost generation. You could almost say they're an unreached people group. So with that, they're going to struggle in the areas of lostness, depression, anxiety. And yeah, very connected online. But what I found is not super connected in person. So we have five kids that are 14 and under. Jack, that's a prayer request, all right? <laughs> uh, so our oldest daughter, Reagan, is 14, and we'll joke with her. She'll joke about it. Like, she can talk all day on a screen because it's almost like that screen is that safety net. So her and her friends, I mean, they'll, and they work collaboratively. That's another thing about Generation Z. They like to work together. And so they'll do their homework together. They'll do their assignments together. And I'll go in a room and she'll have her computer up and they're all on Zoom or FaceTime. Here's all their little pictures. But what's crazy is that when they're around each other in person, they're so awkward. It's almost like they don't know how to interact with each other without that safety of the screen. Yeah. Know? No, you're, you're right. I've got a... Uh... Uh, 21 year old and 19 year old. And uh, yeah, sometimes they don't know that, that you can actually make phone calls on this thing. Yeah. yeah they yeah. know how to text, but when I call, they'll text me back and go, what do you want? It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. I wanted to actually talk to you on the phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, what's so funny, Jack is like, and that's so true, but you know, what's weird is I feel like the phone is affecting us as adults on some level the same way, because like the same thing, like I'll text, but someone's like, hey, can, uh, can we talk on the phone tomorrow at three? And I don't know about you, but sometimes that can we talk on the phone almost adds like a level of formality to it. Like we're like, well, is something wrong? Is, yeah. you know what? Like, <laughs> like, can you prepare me? I want to go into this prepared, you know? So it's funny because like we definitely joke with the, about young people about that. But I feel like us adults are the same way. Like, 
what talk on the phone you know other than texting? yeah <laughs> how, how do you how do you think uh, i mean in, in my in my reading and just of course life experience and having two college age a little older than college age uh, kids myself um i know social media is kind of uh, really re- redefined to some degree what friendship looks like in relationship um and you you're kind of alluding to it just with connecting by having conversation how how big a deal do you think that is uh right now with social media of course now that when we're recording this we're in the midst of a pandemic so people have been connecting a lot virtually but if we weren't in a pandemic before the pandemic how do you think is social media the sole culprit i guess is a question for for that disconnection yeah yeah you know it gosh so many you know here's the deal is that um, it's like with most things, social media can be so beneficial to the kingdom, right? You know, like when you, when you take verses of like the gospel spreading around the world and, and on, you know, if you take that literally of Jesus saying, I'll come back once the gospel, you know, I'm paraphrasing spreads around the world. You're like, well, man, that happens. And you assume it's going to happen through the internet and social media to like, to know that even a hundred years ago, 150 years ago to, to reach an unreached people group of the gospel uh, you had to raise money, get on a boat. If you survived the trip, then you got there. And then hopefully you survive the diseases that your body's not used to in that area. And then you have to learn the language and the money. I mean, it takes years to even get to the point to share the gospel with one person. Now you can literally record your testimony or type something or record a, a, a right. video sermon short and then push send and you can send the gospel into an area where if you went to go do that in person chances are you may be persecuted or killed and so the like you know i don't want to make it seem uh that the internet is only evil or social media is only evil you know uh, it's kind of funny you know we kind of joke about uh i i don't know if you remember the meme that started floating around really quickly at the end of March or April, where it showed almost like this preacher and he is all like, you know, the internet is a tool of the devil. Uh, and then it was like, and then on the meme, it said three weeks later, Hey, join me on Facebook live. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's like the ride, the pandemic yeah. changed everything. So obviously social media can be used as a massive tool for the kingdom, mm. a massive tool for connectivity. Um, but yeah, is there an effect on us? Absolutely. Um, you know, Jack, uh, you know, I don't have fully endorsed the whole documentary, but there was some interesting things. If you've seen uh, the documentary called Social Dilemma on Netflix yes. and, yeah. and the wiring, like literally, I don't think we realize social media on, on some level rewires our brains. Yep. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's so many things that social media has done in a negative way to us on communication, relational barriers, for example, um, you know, I think there's more and more uh, data coming out by psychologists, therapists, counselors, that there's a direct correlation between the amount of screen time versus the amount of anxiety you feel. Oh, yeah. yeah. What this does with young people. Um, Like if we go back, you know, Jack and Jack, if you and I go back to our high school days or our junior high days, if there was a party or gathering um, that took place that we were not invited to, then we may have never even known about it or we didn't find out until it was weeks later and then we didn't even care. Think about it now. Uh, a eighth grader or a 10th grader or a college student, if they're not invited to something, they know about it immediately That's right. because it's right in front of their face because they start seeing the pictures and the videos pop up. And I think that raises that level of anxiety of like, well, why, why am I so left out? And you're, you feel you're connected, but immediately you feel left out. 
Yeah. Um, and then I think it feeds into our identity issues. I think an ad- identity crisis is a huge crisis with Generation Z and young millennials. I think social media only feeds into that um, because sometimes, if we'd be honest, we care more about our online persona than our even real and life persona. Meaning, hey, I gotta, you know, I gotta run these pictures through a filter. Um, hey, I can through an app, I can make me look skinnier than I really am, or I can make me look tan or lighter than I really am. I can fix those blemishes. Um, And so online, it just kind of feeds that super, that superficiality, that, that inauthenticity that we really desire. And if you know, like Generation Z, the word they love is authenticity and transparency, but yeah. really social media feeds the opposite of that. That's exactly right. Yeah. I was, I was telling one of my Gen Z friends the other day, they said, Oh, we saw, I saw that picture of you and your wife, you were out to dinner and you smiling. You had a good time. I said, yeah, you saw that picture. You didn't see the picture that didn't get taken on the way home where we got into an argument about whatever it was yeah, because yeah. we wouldn't put that on social media. You know, who's going to post the argument. We're going to post the good stuff. Yeah, no doubt. And it almost creates this false sense of reality that that, uh, everybody, every age group uh, sees online. I I, I wonder, too, I was going to ask you this because um, in part of my research, one of the things that I came across uh, in in this book was was an interview with the co-founders of Airbnb. Hmm. And as I was watching this, of course, this was, this was 10 plus years ago. Airbnb is now the number one hospitality entity in the world which is mind boggling that people will go stay in strangers homes that they don't know in a city versus, you know, a Hilton or a Marriott hotel. Um, But it is. And I was listening to this interview and the guy said, you know, uh, we don't want to build a, a marketplace because marketplace will just be built around money. Mm. We want to build a community. So I got intrigued. I'm turning up the volume, watching this interview. And, um, and they basically said, you know, when, when people, when we had Uber and Amazon and all these online things that people dove into, it was new. So we had to overcome this, this hurdle of moving from the unknown to the known. And they said the chasm between the unknown and the known is risk. Mm. And the bridge to cross the chasm is trust. Yeah. And one of the comments that they made that I was furiously taking notes at this point, this conversation had nothing to do with spiritual things, but I'm going, it really does. They yeah, just said, no they, they said in order to build community, if, if we just wanted to make money, then money is built on transactions. Trust is built on interactions. Oh, I, love I thought, oh my gosh, that's good. But, but for the, the age group that we're talking about, I, I think about, I think about that issue of trust. I had a, I had a family in my house last night. We had a, a, a small group meeting and, and one of the folks is, they're probably late twenties, early thirties. And the comment they made is, we're not, we're not loyal to anything. Mm-hmm. And I thought yeah. basically what you're saying is you're finding it difficult to trust with, with your experience in, in working with that age group. A couple, couple of questions, I guess, is that, is that true? Is there a trust issue? And, yeah. and if there is, what can we as a church do to rebuild that trust issue to rebuild community? Because I have a lot of those friends who say, if I bring up church and especially faith community, uh, you know, church, they say, well, I've been there, done that, you know, not going to do that again because their trust has been breached. They've been hurt in some way. Um, what are you seeing, number one? And then I guess number two, how, what can we do as a church to, re, to rebuild trust to, to reach this age group? Yeah, Jack, 100%. I love this question. To me, this is the spot on question. Um, and so, in fact, 
whenever uh, I speak at a conference or online things or do breakouts and if this sign topic is reaching Generation Z or how do we reach the next generation, um, I always start with that. That to me, that's the very beginning thing is the trust factor. Because uh, one thing about young millennials and Gen Z is they are so propaganda weary. They're so agenda weary. And I know that, you know, we joke about it, uh, the hashtag fake news, but they, they, they believe, yeah, fake news. They think everything is fake. You know That's what I mean? Right. And like, so even though they, you know, like we all participate in that, there's a certain persona we want to put out for it. They partic- but they're, they're sick of it. Even though they're a part sometimes of that, that hamster wheel, they're sick of it. And they want to figure out how to get off this. Sometimes they don't know how to get off. And yeah. so here's the number one question I always ask Jack churches or ministries or organizations that go, Hey, we're trying to figure out how to reach Gen Z or young millennials always say this. uh, Why, why do you want to do that? Because I think that's the question you got to settle in your heart as a local church, as a ministry, as a nonprofit, you got to say, why do we want to reach the next generation? Mm -hmm. Here's what I mean by that. They're already over agendas. They're tired of propaganda. And so if they feel like the church is only wanting them to, to be a part of their ministry because of an agenda, then that's an immediate turnoff, meaning this. And so I always ask that question, why do you want to reach Gen Z? If, if you want to be the cool church in town or the hip, you know, the trendy church in town that's reaching all the young adults and that's how you want to be known, that's the wrong motivation. That's not that's even right. the right motivation. But the number one question I get primarily, Jack, from most churches is this. Well, if we don't reach the next generation, then our church won't exist in five years or it won't exist in 10 years. Hey, and I get that as a, as a Christian leader, I get that as a, uh, you know, I pastored the local church um, for many years before doing that. I get that angst. I get that drive like, hey, we got to reach the next generation or we're not going to have a future as a church. I get that. But I always say this, please hear my heart in that. Even that's the wrong motivation. Your primary motivation to reach young adults and college students and teenagers is not so that your church can continue to exist for another 30 years or your logo or your website or your brand as a local church. The primary reason to reach Generation Z with the gospel is because they're people made in the image of God that God desperately loves and he loved them so much he sent Jesus for them and that That's Jesus right. loved them so much that he bought them with his own blood uh, mm. through his life, death and, and resurrection. And so like if we approach Generation Z to go, man, we love you because of who you are. We love you because we love your creator and we just care about you. We don't care about filling our seats. We don't care about you coming so you'll tithe and pay the bills. Like we care about you. And if we're authentic with that and that's our core and that's our motivation, then that's attractive because they feel everyone has an agenda. They feel everyone has a propaganda uh, bent to them. And so when the church just comes in and goes, hey, we're sinners saved by grace. We want to tell you about the Jesus who saved us because he loves us. We love you. He loves you. And if we're authentic with that, that will stand out hugely Mm. because they don't feel that anywhere else. They don't see that anywhere else, you know? Um, And then I also say this is that I think for the pastor who's listening or the leader who's listening or the the ministry executive who's listening is um, there's something different with Gen Z that I think we're going to have to be more patient on. Meaning this, I think in previous generations, older millennials, Gen Xers, baby boomers, so on, is people would typically believe first 
and then belong. Meaning that like, right, we would go preach mm. the gospel or we'd go share the gospel or we'd go door to door, we'd go evangelize. Then they would believe the core values of our faith and then they would join our churches, join our ministries, right? So they would believe, then they would belong. I think with Gen Z, we're going to see a, a flip to that script and it's going to take longer. It's going to, we're going to have to be more patient. Gen Z may belong for a while before they actually believe what we believe, meaning this, they're hungry for relationships. So while ago, I quoted that statistic, um, you know, less than 20% says going to church is important to them. Um, but the vast majority said that they would be willing to go to religious service if a friend that they trusted invited them. Mm. So meaning this, they are, they want things to do. They, they hate being bored. They want things to do. They want to be around people. So they may come to your church for a while. They may be in your youth ministry for a while. They may be in your college ministry for a while. They're also action oriented. They're like, they care about social justice and, and justice things. So they, if your church is impacting its community, they, they may come serve with you for a while they may not even believe in the jesus you believe in that's right but they may come serve with you because they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves so they may belong for a while before they believe what you believe yeah um and so i think that's going to be a big change yeah man that is that is like out of the park grand slam spot on arrow in the bullseye <laughs> uh, checkered flag what else can i say there you're you're right and and, and i actually I actually think it's maybe even beyond that age group just because of our culture is pushing even some of us who aren't in that age group uh, to, to think that way. And um, we've been reading the same book. I don't know what book it was that, that said that because I, I agree with you. The Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Could be. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 that's always the answer, right? If you don't know another answer is the Bible, God or Jesus. right? Well, and I, I think some of us are used to, I was having this conversation with somebody at church the other week. You know, we, we have a bus ministry. This is pre COVID. Um, but we have a bus ministry and one of these young kids came in who there's no telling what obstacle this kid had to come Get, overcome just to get on the bus to come. I mean, yeah. bad family situation, not probably even enough food in the house, just hurdle after hurdle. And he got on the bus and he's, he's probably 11 and showed up and he showed up with a baseball cap, you mm -hmm. know, in the sanctuary. Ooh. And, um, you know, thankfully most of our folks, they were like, we're glad he's here. I think maybe there was one person who made a comment and it wasn't, they weren't, it wasn't a, you know, they weren't intense about it. Yeah. But I, but I thought even the behave, you know, when I was growing up, yeah. I even behaved like a Christian, but I wasn't a Christian because yeah. of the peer pressure of being in the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I thought I was a Christian because I had the behavior right. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. I, th I think who, whoever it was, some of the, some of the words you were saying from the, from whatever we've been reading, uh, hopefully it's the Bible, yeah. uh, <laughs> people belonging, then believing. And when, when you, when you find a place where you belong, you'll start believing what God says about you. Yeah. And then when you start believing it, then you start behaving. And sometimes yeah. I think in the church, we want people to come in who are lost and act like they're saved. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> That's not yeah. going to happen. Yeah, I was exactly having this very conversation on uh, a little webinar earlier this morning is like, yeah, we get it backwards. Like, that's why I love what you're saying. And, you know, we were joking about the Bible, but really that's the model the apostle Paul always used. Like if you look at the, all the epistles of the apostle Paul, he always kind of uses the same writing teaching model. He'll talk about who God is. 
He'll talk about who we are. He'll talk about the gospel. He'll talk about who we are in Christ. And then usually it's in the second half of his letters where he'll talk about now live this way. So yes. it's almost like Paul will always start with who God is. He'll start with the gospel, who we are in Christ, our changed identity. And he'll say, because of your new identity, now here's the activity that God mm. expects of, you know, yeah, like, or, that's right. or, you know, the gospel changes who you are. And then over time, the power of the gospel will change what you do. That's I right. For so long in the church, we got it backwards. Like, you know, I used to joke, Jack, uh, uh, but it was kind of true. Like in church for the longest, I thought being a Christian just means you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew or date girls that do. You know what yes. I mean? That yeah, was like that's it. Right. You know, but then everybody would treat each other badly or gossip about each other or be so mean, that, you know. Um, but really the gospel changes who you are. It changes your identity from death to life, from found the loss from dead, you know, or from orphan to child of God, when the gospel changes who you are, then the power of the gospel through discipleship and sanctification will change what you do, how, you know, yeah. your activity. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. It. Hey, I know, I know you're busy. Any, any thoughts that you have of something that I didn't ask that you're going, Hey, I want to make sure we, we throw this into the mix. Yeah, man. Well, first of all, Jack, man, I love your book, man. You sent it to me and man, as I thumbed through it, I was like, man, this is spot on. Here, here's another aspect of Gen Z that, man, I always share and I want to encourage people with is I think every church, every ministry, every student ministry, collegiate ministry should have emotional health in light of the gospel as a part of their discipleship process, as a part of their discipleship pipeline. Because another thing we do know about Generation Z is uh, they're the wealthiest generation to ever live. Meaning this, like today, there are more millionaire teenagers alive today than at any point in U.S. history primarily because of TikTok and YouTube. So they're entrepreneurs, right. uh, you know, like they're smart. They've had access to the, you know, the iPhone their whole life and screens, but also uh, statistically the most depressed generation that we've ever lived. You know, I don't know if you saw at the end of last year, and this was even before all the COVID stuff is crazy for the fourth year in a row, the average lifespan of all Americans has declined. For the first time in U.S. history, fourth year in a row, the average lifespan, all mm. the advancements in technology, medicine, this is before COVID, right. the average lifespan of Americans declined. Primary reason was because of drug overdose rates and suicide rates amongst young millennials and Gen Z. Um, and so, um, you know, you know, it's kind of interesting, Jack. I don't know if you remember, you know, like when we were younger, like when we were teenagers and college students, we all self-diagnosed ourselves with like ADD or ADHD. You know, whether we had it or not, whether we ever went to the doctor or not, we all assumed we had it. You know, like it'd be like, oh, my ADDD is kicking up or, or, you know, I can't do that. I got ADHD. And you're like, oh, did you go to the doctor? What do you take for it? And you're like, no, no, but I know I got it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like how we all self-diagnosed. All of us did, you know? Um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I know I kind of do that part jokingly, but here's the second part that I want to be as serious as possible. Um, Gen Z is doing the exact same thing, but they're doing it with depression and anxiety, meaning they all think they're depressed. They all think they're anxious. Mm. Um, and, and please hear me like a lot are, there is that clinical diagnosis. We know that there is clinical depression, anxiety, but on some level, many are self-diagnosing. And many are going, well, all my friends say they're depressed, so I'm depressed. Or all my friends say they're anxious, so I must be anxious too. And so I think what we have to do is we have to teach healthy emotional health mm -hmm. in light of the gospel. 
and to, to really help people understand that, to go, hey, your emotions are a gift from God to worship Jesus with and to have a burden for people around you that are hurting and lost. It's good for your heart to break when God's heart breaks, um, but your emotions were never given to you to be your dictators That's right. or to be your That's God. Right. They were given as a tool to worship King Jesus with. You know, and there's that popular cliche with the next generation of it's okay to not be okay. And I like that because it, it, it breeds transparency to go, hey, admit you're struggling, admit mm. you're you're not okay, admit that you're hurting, admit that you you have these thoughts. Um, but as the church, we tend to stop there. Like we got to realize the gospel goes past that. That's that right. it's okay to not be okay, but it ain't okay to stay that way. That's right. When there's another way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is a a gospel and there is a Holy Spirit and there is the word of God and there are God's common grace, uh, meaning available to everybody like medicine and doctors mm. and therapists and counselors and psychologists. And so um, it is okay to not be okay, but it ain't okay to stay that way. And so I would say, man, I love your book on loneliness. I love your heart for this. Um, and I think every church every ministry that's going to be serious about reaching the next generation has to breach this topic in light of the gospel because it is a huge need with the next generation. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate that, Shane. Thank you. One, one more quick question, yeah. buddy, because um, there are a lot of ministry leaders uh, that, that I have seen take the wrong way out of life over the last couple of years for friends who have ended it. For, for somebody who's in a ministry position, pastor, ministry leader, you know, maybe lay, lay worker, but you use your business as ministry, whatever. What, what have you learned in your life doing ministry for the number of years that you have? What are some, some things that somebody should put in place as a pastor even to help them? Because I know a lot of ministry leaders listening go, well, I, I, I feel lonely. We all have felt lonely, by the way, from time to time. That's just yeah, no, the way no. it is. But, but I feel lonely, but I, there's nobody in my church, obviously, I can talk to about this. There's nobody here. What, what do you do? What's a, a, maybe a practical tip or two you'd suggest to somebody so that we don't see any other pastors or ministry leaders choose the wrong way out? Yeah, a couple of things. Number one, uh, I heard this statement probably two or three years ago, and I heard it, and I go, oh, man, that's a good statement. Uh, you know, this one of those tweetable statements, but it really didn't mean much to me, but in 2020, it's been one of those kind of lifeblood statements. And it was this, he's, uh, the statement was this, solitude and isolation are two different things. And it helped me understand that. Isolation, bad. Meaning isolation is usually unintentional time by yourself. Mm. And when you're by yourself and lonely and isolated, then all the things you struggle with isolation is like fuel to that. It's like steroids to that. So if you struggle with depression or if you struggle with just having a critical spirit over yourself, if you struggle with loneliness, if you struggle with anxiety, if you struggle with different addictions, isolation is like mm -hmm. fuel to that. That's Bad. Right. Solitude, good. Solitude is different from isolation because solitude is that intentional time by yourself with the Lord, you know, in scripture reading and prayer and Sabbathing. And usually in that solitude, that's where uh, energy comes. That's where inspiration comes. That's where innovation comes. Cause I don't mm -hmm. know about you, Jack. I'm usually at my best when I'm living from the overflow of my own worship of Jesus. Right. And that's, that's right. going to take yep. place in solitude. So I think understanding that difference, I think every leader has to understand that difference. Solitude. Good. That's intentional. 
isolation bad. That's unintentional. And to me, that's where the enemy snipes people off. Um, and we even see that in the Discovery Channel or Animal Planet when there's a lion <laughs> chasing a herd of gazelles. And you know he can catch them anytime he wants, but what is he waiting for? He's waiting for that one to divvy off from the herd. That's when he pounces. I think the enemy does the same thing for us. He, right. wait, he follows the community of believers, and then he waits for one to veer off and go by, on their own by themselves. Mm. That's when he pounces. Um, but then on the practical side, um, for me, and this is for me, it sounds so surface level, but this is for me. Uh, number one, that intentional time with the Lord every day. So here's what I found. If I'm spending time with God every day, and then I'm also spending time exercising, those two tracks affect everything for me. It affects how I view the world. It affects my emotional health, my mental health, my spiritual health. It affects how I treat others. It affects how I speak to my wife and my kids. It affects how I lead. Yeah. It affects how I follow. Like exercising and spending time with the Lord every day. Um, because I think when we're not exercising and we're isolated and then we're eating just junk, you know what I mean? Like we eat, we gorge, then we feel guilty about that. When we feel guilty, we're going to eat more. And when we feel guilty, we're going to, and it's just this never ending right. vicious cycle. So for me, spending time with the Lord, that's got to happen every day. I always say, if I don't read my Bible in a day, I know about it. If I don't read it in a couple of days, my wife knows about it. If I don't read it in a week, my kids know about it. If I don't read it for a month, everyone's going to know about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, but then that exercising, because that is such a stress relief, you just feel better. You feel confident. I feel like we make our best decisions when we're confident in who we are in Christ. We make our worst when we're not confident, mm -hmm. we're trying to mm -hmm. overcompensate. And then the third thing on that is I always say, find some friends who are not impressed with who you are. Meaning this, like in my life, uh, Brad Malone and Vance Smith, Brad Malone works for an energy company. Uh, Vance Smith works for a financial company. Both those men love the Lord. They're involved in our church. They serve. But those guys have been my friends way before I'm in the role I'm in now. Like they don't care that I'm the national next gen director for the Southern Baptist Convention. They don't care, you know, about them. And I, like meaning this, like I could stock shelf at stock shelves at Walmart and they would still want to be my friend. They would yeah. still want to go to the movies. They would still want to go watch a ball game. They would still want to go run and, and play basketball with me and do disc golf. Mm. Like, I think in ministry, like, it feels like often in ministry, we're the people who are around the most people, but we're also the most lonely within a crowd. And I think it's because we keep people at a distance. We want to put a facade up and we think we have to perform in a way that they're expecting us to. That's why mm. I think it's important to have friends who are not impressed with you, you know? Yeah, man, those are so good. Those are so good, man. I, I know you're busy, Shane. I'm grateful for uh, just to, to hang out and um, thank you for your time today. Wow. Hey, thank you, Shane. Thanks for your time today. And I hope people will share this podcast, uh, follow us, uh, check us out on Facebook as well, Twitter, Instagram, all those platforms. But uh, most of all, I pray that you would uh, get connected into a faith community where you can grow and be who God's created you to be. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Jack Eason Podcast. Be sure to check out the website for blogs, videos, and more help on the issues of loneliness, friendship, and community. To get updates on the release of Jack's new book from Revell Publishing, sign up for an email alert at jackeason.org.